Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want What Fuels You to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Aaron Papworth. Aaron is the CEO and co-founder of Navit, the social and finance app that helps young earners find their personalized way to increased wealth. A two-time entrepreneur, she spent over a decade living and working overseas, managing multi-million dollar programs and working for organizations like Johns Hopkins University, Doctors Without Borders, the United Nations, and the United States government. During that time, Aaron experienced firsthand the decline of societies when young people have limited access to credit and financial markets. She became passionate about increasing access to financial systems for marginalized populations in order to help them grow intergenerational wealth. Welcome, Erin. Good to see you. Hi, Shauna. Great to be here. Okay, so I'm hitting you with some rapid fire. Are you ready? Yes, ma'am. Okay, given you're like Miss International and you've been all over the world, I'm curious more from a personal perspective, what's your favorite vacation you've ever taken? Oh, I love this question. It's so hard. I, I was just some, for some reason I had to count how many countries I've been to and I'm hitting 56 now. So oh, I like, lucky. it's ridiculous. You, to be fair, I cheated because Africa has so many countries in one that it's really easy to get a lot in yeah. one go. Um, but I, I was just, I was just commenting that Turkey, Istanbul and um, just kind of the coastline of, of Turkey was incredibly fabulous experience for me just because I'm it was so different. Go. Yeah. Yeah. To go. You have so many talents, but what is a hidden talent that we might not know about? Oh my, I like very cheesy, but I like to rap. <laughs> not any of the like really good stuff. But Literally like, rap. <laughs> no. like I can do the first CD of Hamilton and like nineties oh. rap, you know, like the like not, not real stuff. But that is so funny. Yes. All right. Well, that's a, that's a skill. Okay. <laughs> what have you read, listened to, or seen, mm -hmm. I guess maybe during COVID or this past year that you would highly recommend? Oh man. Besides uh, have, Hamilton. Before, that was definitely one. Um, you know, well, I'm a, I'm a mom of a 10 year old. So we did, we kind of got into, which I probably wouldn't have otherwise, but I was thoroughly enjoyed. Um, every Friday night we would do a Marvel movie. So we did all 20, you know, I don't know, six of them. Um, wow. Throughout COVID. Yeah, it was, it was definitely intense. And I am like, I feel like 
I am definitely a good mother. That's what I was about to say. I hope my kids actually don't listen to this because now I'm feeling Sorry. like a lame mom. You're like, no, no. I'm like, I haven't watched one Marvel movie, let alone 26. That's well, amazing. Yes. Yeah. The, okay. Yes. Yeah. If you could teleport somewhere today, oh. where would you go and with who? And you don't have to say your son. <laughs> so it's no, like no, the and- you, you can leave him at home. That's fine. Thank you. Thank you. I love him, but maybe I would. Yes. Um, anywhere in history or just anywhere currently anywhere in history anywhere yeah I have a I have a I want to go to the future but really I love history so I would teleport probably now that we're talking about Hamilton to the like American Revolution and really see how how it really worked you know and really I I don't know I love to meet the founding fathers and see and where the women were like I'm really curious of like what the women were doing do you think they were like us or they were like not I mean I'm always so curious about that because I know women were put in their place in like such a different way like how they needed to show up and like it's crazy and now I meet so many powerful women and I'm like these women might were powerful but they weren't like necessarily given a voice totally oh I think they were I think they were the entire machine behind the action and I, and oh, for sure. yeah. And you know, you know, the Jane Adams of the world and all that you hear about it, but I, what I'm curious of is like, was there any influence in arguing for women's rights at the time? Like did, where was there, where was their voice, you know, yes. at all? Was, yeah, and what anyway. were the, and what were the like women, you know, if you get together with your girlfriends for drinks or for brunch or something, what were, like, what were those conversations? Yes, totally. Like, I, I bet they were talking about the rights and all this stuff too. They were probably reading yes, the same stuff. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Okay. Is there an app? Um, besides Navit, but is there an app that you just can't live without that you use super frequently? That's interesting. Well, I, you know, we, we have a business, so Slack is definitely, I'm, I feel attached to the hip on Slack in terms of fun, personal stuff. I would say, well, let me look actually, um, other than Navit, should I, I should definitely yeah. plug Navit. <laughs> I know. Well, we will, we're going to get into yes, it. I'm we'll super excited. Um, my son found, uh, peachy. Do you mm. know this? It's hilarious. I mean, it's oh, but I need maybe to this, know. Well, it's 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 like uh, photo editing, but oh. he so you know people that care about being influencers make themselves look really great. He just goes through and makes and we make ridiculous like us look ridiculous, like expanded face. Like, oh, I need to check it out. So, Peachy, P E A C H Y, Peachy, C H Y, yeah, C H Y. Okay, I'm in. Yep. All right, this is my this is my last question. Although I could do this all day with you. So fun. Um, what is the best concert that you've ever been to? Oh, um, my first concert was Whitney Houston. <gasps> Shut up! I'm not lucky. My, I was young, and my dad took me, and she's he put me. We were in the like near the stage kind of in the you know standing part and he put me on his his shoulders and she sang like eye contact to me I believe the children are the future you know I love Whitney Houston of course I believe the The children are you kidding oh yeah yeah oh I love her like I don't know how you actually that documentary made me really sad though because I was she was a huge part of my childhood like I love Whitney Houston yeah what a great she and I were born are you where how old were you like at the time and where are you from even I don't think you and I've ever discussed oh yeah exactly I I must have been like eight or nine I was like right when that song meant something and um I was I was I grew up in Portland Oregon and, but she and I share oh, the wait, same we birthday did, too. I did know this. So Portland. So you yes. grew up, were you like, I, I don't know why I have it in my mind that you were like a little mini entrepreneur, <laughs> like a little mover and shaker. <laughs> mover and shaker. What, were you, what were you into That's when you funny. were a kid? I was definitely, you know, my dad used to say he didn't know what to do with a girl. So he just raised me like a boy. So I definitely did a lot of sports. Like I was, that was 
a thing. Um, it should be. I'm it, a big fan of pushing kids towards sports. Completely. And I would, and team sports. So it helped me. I definitely, I was always the point guard or the setter. Like I definitely yeah. gravitated towards telling people what to do, which my team <laughs> would now say, uh, comes in handy. Yes. <laughs> historically. Yeah. I also was, I really, you know, history and books. I was kind of a nerd. I would go to camp and, you know, read books as we were walking to different places. <laughs> like, I love it. Did you have an idea back then of like what success meant to you? Like were your parents successful? And I guess given your business, um, yeah. you know, did you have a relationship with success linked to money? Yeah, it's interesting. Great question. And we talk a lot about money stories. I watched my father build a company. He was an entrepreneur too. He had, when he, um, in my young, young years, he was a CFP, but then he started a healthcare finance company. And I watched him go from, you know, in the phases that I have been in, in the last couple of years, really like pushing and, you know, a lot of extra work and a lot of pressure, you know, and then I watched him succeed and then exit the company in my childhood. So up until like for college. So yeah, I definitely saw what it was. What was interesting about that is I saw the masculine version of it and having my own journey now. Um, obviously I have the genetics and the kind of propensity towards it, but it's definitely been interesting to kind of define my own path through entrepreneurship and how I want to engage and the, like my feminine version of it. Cause I, yeah, it, it was really interesting. It's interesting. And who, yeah. so who, I guess, inspired you when you were a kid? I mean, from teachers to coaches to your parents. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. You know, I have a lovely, I have a very diverse uh, parent <laughs> situation. So that was my father. And then my mother was a teacher and very caring, very giving, you know, very um, kind of community oriented. And uh, my stepmother was this incredible professional OBGYN, went back to medical school in her thirties because she was trying to say women could be, you know, at the upper echelons of professionalism. She marched on Washington for the women's rights. Like, you know, she, so I had this incredible breadth of influences, like adult influences that were very diverse, a, a female with a career and high, like high, highly skilled professional, a teacher that was giving back to society, an entrepreneurial father. So those were, I mean, I look back now and I've taken pieces of all of them into who I am. And then of course, yeah, teachers, I think I had an incredible world history teacher. That was the best teacher I ever had that um, taught me that I could be really good at something, which was nice. Yeah. I always love hearing stories of teachers because a, I think that it's like just such an incredible career for someone to choose. And people don't realize the influence positive and negative, you know, totally. you also hear the stories of people putting, put, putting doubt into children's minds about totally. their capabilities, but when someone yeah. inspires you in that way. And so coming from Portland, um, how did you end up at Loyola Marymount? I actually looked at that oh, yeah. school too, coming from Seattle. Oh yeah. You know, ironically, I, so my, my mother's side, not the other two were, is, were really religious. And so I went to a Christian school and by the time I was in high school, I was, I was always questioning things and kind of rebellious in my intellect and uh, pushing back. So I, so part of the going to Loyola was to like learn theology from a different perspective and it wasn't that vastly different but you know at the time catholicism felt different so so the jesuits were like this incredible environment for me to learn you know intellect and theology and the history of different religions in the world and and it was la and it was far enough away from portland but still yeah. on on the east on the west coast and yeah there was yeah was would you do it again the same way would you attend that school 
Probably not. I think LA was, I had, LA was really intense for me coming from little Portland, Oregon. And also, um, you know, with the insecurities that you have as a young female and with surrounded by incredibly beautiful people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the whole LA is crazy. I just got back from LA literally last night and oh, amazing. I, I was visiting friends and I was like, this is like the beautiful people everywhere. You have to everywhere. have a lot of confidence and especially today where that's such a focus for people like the outside versus the inside. Yes. And thank God at that time, you know, social media wasn't what it was because I would have been a hot mess if I all had of had, us would have uh, been. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sorry for all the young men and women that are navigating that world. But yeah, I, I, I ended up Loyola was amazing for multiple, for two reasons. One, I had this incredible South Sudanese professor who taught um, basically colonial African history. And we went to Oxford together on a, on a, on a study abroad. And he taught like at Oxford, you know, with the Rhodes museum and like That's incredible. The incredible history. Yeah. Yeah. I really got an incredible global perspective, which sparked my interest in Africa. And then also it was this incredible place where um, I could, we were in, so I'm old enough that I was in LA when 9-11 happened. And of course those flight, those, um, the flights that hit at least two of the flights that hit the world trade centers, um, or at least one of the Pentagon and the other one was coming to LA. So our, I saw firsthand kind of the shutdown and, you know, we were completely shut down. It was, there was national guard and, um, it gave me this perspective of, Oh, wait, this is what happens when, um, governments kick in and military action occurs. Um, so in retrospect, I would have, I, I got so much into political science and history and international development that maybe I probably should have gone to a school that didn't like focus on theology and film. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Was, in, in LA, maybe like somewhere in DC or on the East yeah, coast. Yeah. yeah that DC, makes sense. Georgetown. What were you studying? I mean, what was your focus and what was your intention yeah. around um, that choice at the time? Yeah. So I, st I started, I didn't know at, you know, seven, well, I was does? 17. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was so young. Um, <laughs> So I, I started just, my dad was like, just do business because that's kind of catch all. I got into that a year or two. And, um, that was actually like a personal awakening for me to be like, I don't want to do this, but I don't want to let him down. And it took Aww. me two years. I know it took me two years to tell him. And he was so, which, you know, it's funny in retrospect, he was so amazing about it. Um, so I did a minor in business, but I ended up doing, I, I got into, uh, journalism and I really wanted to be a, this is where it sparked, right? I wanted to be a war correspondent, which, you know, I, the, I, yeah, Huge my admiration that you yeah. even like have the confidence or the courage to pursue something like that. No, it's like my prefrontal cortex was not fully formed. And I thought going to war zones would be a really good idea. So I did an English writing major because they didn't have journalism and communications. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so right out of school, I mean, thinking about money and how to mm -hmm. kind of pay your way, yeah. what was your strategy for like survival and, and a career path? You know, so that senior year after Oxford and having done a lot of political science and uh, history, I applied to intern at NAFTA in DC. Like the plan was international, yeah, international de development or diplomacy, who knew at the time. Um, but I went, I don't have, I, I'm not sure I've told you the story. I went. I, you might have. Yeah, it's crazy. I, my stepmother gave me a 
trip because she was the one that introduced travel to me. She gave me a trip anywhere in the world. She wanted to go to China. SARS was just happening. So that was, you know, no. Remember how scary that was? Yeah. Do you remember? Oh yeah. (laughs) All of those. Now I'm like COVID schmoked. Right. Like what's this? Oh, now I understand why they were wearing masks over there in that comic Um, But I, because of the Oxford trip, I said, well, what about South Africa? What about Africa? And so we did South Africa, we did Cape Town, and then we went up to Botswana, which is this incredible gem of a country in this, you know, center of South Southern Africa. And uh, we did safaris. And so the third safari lodge, I was bored because I was 21 and I had a lot of energy and in the safari world now it's like oh of course this is what you do in the morning you go out on a game drive you see all these incredible animals you come home you eat you nap you have a siesta because it's 100 degrees and why would you go out in the day and there are a bunch of 40 year olds like me that want to <laughs> that want to sleep and yeah. then you go out again you eat and then you go out on another game drive because that's when the animals are active but by like lodge three I'm this like energetic you know I need to run I want to exercise young 21 year old. And I was like, I'm bored. Everyone fell asleep. I was like, I'm going to go in the back and see what's going on. And like with everyone, like talk to someone. So I went in the back, everyone, of course, the, the staff were all asleep too, but there was this random guy who's a white South African dude who was fixing his land cruiser or land rover. <laughs> and we got like in this big discussion and he taught me how to drive stick on the wrong side of the road and the desert. And, but he ended up being the, um, safari lodge owner. And he ah, said, so you made friends with them. I made friends with them. And he said, what are you doing with your life? I said, I'm going to DC. And he, you know, it was 2003. So it was like, it was pretty close. Like, you know, uh, South Africa, Mandela only became president in 94. So it was close enough to um, the fall of apartheid that there was sensitivity. And the US had been a part of that, you know, by sanctioning them. So he kind of was like, you Americans, neo-colonialists, you don't have a clue how things actually work. You go, you know, use your power to, um, kind of, yeah, call them like neocon, like colonize our countries. And you don't actually know what the root causes of our problems are. And I was like, Oh, you're right. I have no idea. And he ended up being the safari lodge owner. And he, um, said, come back and run my safari lodge. I so at love 21, that. <laughs> yes. You're like, I don't really know what I'm doing. No clue. And no clue. I mean, it was total. So you're 21. So you did that for how long? And like, and and I know that you ended up getting a master's in public health from Mm -hmm. Tulane. Was that something that was needed to continue on? Well, so I jumped over to, I did the safaris for nine months and I realized I knew at the time when I, even from college, I was applying to work overseas and like, you know, in with USAID or all these, you know, state department, all these things, but usually, but what they wanted was, you know, five years of experience and a master's and I didn't have any of that. So my thought was I'll get over to Africa. I'll work. I'll see if I can hop over and get more experience in like, you know, health or education or something, which is exactly, exactly what I did. So, Mm -hmm. um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the U.S. government was putting a lot of money into HIV and Botswana at the time as their first big grant system cycle. Um, and so I hopped over and I started working in healthcare. And then I met a guy who was like, look, <laughs> this is so silly. Doctors Without Borders, <laughs> you know, these like humanitarian aid groups, they love safari lodge managers because running a safari lodge is just like running a refugee camp, except your clients are not paying thousand dollars a night, but all the supply chain, the, you know, the staffing, the uh, security, the radios, like all that's very similar. So that's a transferable. Yeah. Yeah. So I hopped over that that 23, I hopped over and started working with doctors without borders. And then yes, I did a master's because I felt like, I mean, doctors without borders was this incredible 
PhD in running can a you, small Can you tell system. me, because obviously we've all heard about Doctors Without Borders, but <laughs> yeah. um, if I guess your son or my kids are listening and they're like, well, that sounds cool. Like, what is it in a, in a sentence? Like, Absolutely. So Doctors Without Borders provides medical care in typically um, conflict zones. You know, they can do it in other, with other things like chronic diseases, but they come in and they basically supplement the health system when the health system is crumbling in some way, shape or form. And I went to two war zones. Um, one of their tricks is that like, you know, they can like, I basically in Darfur, we were running the, the entire health system of a refugee camp of like 70,000 people. So that means water and sanitation, uh, providing medical care. We had an, you know, outpatient, inpatient, we had doctors and nurses, nutrition, um, immunization for kids. Like it really, like all this stuff we talk about with COVID, you know, it's incredible health system, health systems (laughs) that you were basically running it. Yeah. And what was your, what what were you doing? Cause I know you're not a nurse, not a doctor. And so is it more like you're going to help facilitate and move things through and make sure everyone's needs are getting met? Like, are you actually like, what's your job? Yeah, I was a logistician. So exactly. I did all the logistics. So all the supply chain. What an incredible, the, and do you oh, make money doing that? Yes. Uh, that was your original question about money. Yes. Uh, you do make money. You don't make tons, but what it ends up being is you don't spend any, they, you know, your entire life is paid for. They're doing all the transport. You get a stipend a day, you know, you get paid and like a per diem. Um, they send you on holiday every six weeks because you're in crazy places. Like I went to Zanzibar and like really amazing places. So cool. So you definitely leave with money. It's not like you're making, you leave with money and then it's based like, where's the business based out of and where are all the other people that are working for doctors that borders all over the world or these mostly Americans? No, it's all over the world that I was really lucky. Well, that's the best part about these things. Like so the, the, they have offices in a bunch of countries. Amer- there is an American office in New York, but I worked for the French and the Dutch. So, I mean, but I, I worked from, for people, you know, Germany, Holland, France, Africa, you could African literally, diaspora. Uh, you could literally have been like, okay, I did that. And now I'm gonna either just raise my son. You could have done nothing else and been like, <laughs> look at my life story. And of course, now you move on to like, I did. go back and get a master's in public health. Like you- yes. You don't kind of halfway do things, I don't think. No. <laughs> like, well, let me just double down. <laughs> well, especially what? in my 20s, can I say like, God, wow. I, I was driven on a weird level just to it's insane. test myself. Yeah, I think a I lot mean, of people read about these things or think about these things, but you were actually doing them. And was it hard for you to find people who were like-minded? Like, you know what I mean? You go back to talk to your friends. No offense to the friends from high school or whatever. No, bless but them. You're the friend who's like, and I have a friend who's oh. living in Botswana. I mean, it's crazy. I'm definitely the crazy friend. Yeah. But what you end up happening is like, you find like-minded people along the way, right? So I have some of my best friends are from that time period, from these different countries. And and you, I really literally could go to so many countries around the world and have a good friend there that I had some experience with. Um, so, so come, but cool. coming, I have to say, coming back here in my thirties after that you know, 12 years of these experiences was, it took me a couple of years to kind of reorient to, okay, sure. what's my identity now? Who am I? Like, what is well, this beyond identity? Like, how do you, where do you get your, your, I guess your jolts of energy and inspiration? Right. Cause like, oh, here I am walking through whole foods and like, right. whatever, <laughs> all this opulence and abundance. Yes. Yes. It's so just my, like, oh, <laughs> my crazy brain started a company instead. <laughs> like, yeah. So I, how, how soon after, I guess, coming back and after that whole long 12 year, I mean, nuts life experience, <laughs> did you decide to start Navit and what's the origin yeah. story? 
of the company. Yeah. So, so to start there, I have to jump from, okay, I did my master's. I went back to Africa and then I was not in war zones. I really worked for uh, the U.S. government and Johns Hopkins University where we implemented programs. So yeah. we were really looking at um, how do you create behavior change programs and measure like disease prevalence to prove to a given country's health department or ministries of health that um, they should fund services for marginalized populations. So we were really looking at like um, sexually transmitted diseases. So a lot of really marginalized groups that no one really wanted to talk about like female sex workers and injecting drug use and stuff. So um, that was incredible because what it gave me was an understanding of the uh, economic system, like different mm. economic systems. Like our, we have such a credit credit heavy country, right? We have a lot of uh, the, the ability to make a lot of money because of our banking, the structure of our banking system, our ability to get loans, but in cash-based societies, that's a whole nother ball game. And you really, and if you don't have a labor market, both men and women participating meaningfully in the labor market, you really have incredible pressure on your economic system to not grow. And I, and I, so I really like birth control, like preventing too many pregnancies, like getting, getting children educated to a certain level, men and women educated, mm -hmm. like really it, it, directly correlates to the GDP of a country over time. So I really, I, I got this really fascinating. Yeah. Um, deep, deep understanding of how economic systems work and, and financial systems and how important financial systems are. So it was rooted. I mean, it sounds kind of like a crazy jump to go then into a financial technology, but that experience over there just really showed me how important navigating a financial system is mm -hmm. and how behavior change works. That was the other thing that I learned over there because we, we set up systems that got people from highly, you know, high risk for different diseases to different incremental behavioral shifts and, and knowledge and access to services and peer education that literally prevented them from getting diseases over time and kind of was a sustainable model for behavior change. So th those are the foundations for NAVID eventually. But it, I mean, for sure, because it, now you've got, you know, now you're a technology like FinTech company, but it right. could have easily been that you just said, let me consult um, you know, low income, you, you could have taken so many different routes. Yes. <laughs> and I like that you took a route that's scalable yeah. and that can touch more people, can have more impact. Yes. That was really but through technology. I mean, totally. truly, like there's a lot of different people trying to kind of help, but this totally. is like a, a platform. Well, and, and, you know, that's a great point because I, I consciously did that. Like I saw what I love. I think there's a place for philanthropy and nonprofits, but I saw that all like nonprofits don't have sustainable models that can really make economic change over time. They're, de they're dependent on grants and funding from whatever source they have. And I've really feel passionately at the end. I even helped, I helped write it like university textbook chapter on public private partnerships. It's so silly, but, but that model of, um, social mission driven and social impact businesses that have mm. a profit motive. I really believe that has to be that, it, that is the way to really change incrementally society because you need that sustainability to end the scalability to your point to be able to actually make an impact on enough of the population, uh, right. to see change over time. 
Right. So that was the origin story of like how you thought of the idea, but then what? So then you're like, how do I fund it? And how yes. do I find humans oh, to do yes. this business with you? Yes, exactly. So I think what, what, I, what was happening at the time when I came back was I should say in Africa, you know, part of watching the economic system over there is I saw what peer-to-peer payments did, like this mobile payment world. Like they were one of the first, you know, continents because they don't have a strong banking system that they used phones like, you know, MTN or AT&T and Mm T-Mobile started doing money transfers. Like, so I could send you credit on AT&T for 50 bucks, and then you Mm -hmm. could go to an AT&T office and get that in cash. It was the first like real mobile payment system that really revolutionized a cash-based society. So I'd seen what technology could do. And then of course, technology, when I came back here, I came back in like 2015. Um, it was revolutionizing, you know, at the time mint was the big thing, but it was yes. revolutionizing how we were having conversations. And then eventually Venmo came in 18, you know, and there were all these changes in technology. Yeah. Interesting. And so you, what is the exact business model? Yeah. So, so at the time I, so I've seen these technological changes, but I was also seeing this incredible burden that young people have on uh, low financial literacy rates. And like they, you know, they took out of our, our education system, financial literacy, econ, you know, these kind of things that, yeah. so we had, so, and millennials were really getting hit by all these other things like a 2008 crisis and it was pre COVID, um, the rise in student loan debt, high credit card utilization, a lack of pension and like, you know, social security, security, you know, this generation has a really novel experience um, in the, in their financial navigation. And they're not really highly financially literate. I think this is changing now for the younger generation because as a pendulum swing against this, but that's a really horrible place to be starting at um, with a generation that has access to all this technology and all these possible beneficial tools, but also has low literacy and, and all these detrimental things are coming online, like day trading on, sorry, I'm saying Robin hood, but like day trading on platforms, right? Like, so you have this incredible like conundrum, right. Of like benefits. And anyway, so that really spawned me and spurred me. The other thing that I saw was women had our generation is the first generation to really be in the workforce at a meaningful level. So we just haven't had like the entire labor market has not had financial conversations and wealth generating conversations that are really meaningful or like speak to our narrative because our narrative is new, you know, the getting master's degrees, having babies and working, you know, being dual income households, like that's all a new conversation for this generation. So I just felt very passionate that technology has this opportunity to scale. We can have these conversations around behavior change, financial wealth, and provide services that help people not only kind of incrementally shift their behavior, but give them the right banking tool at the right time, like help them utilize credit or help them save or coach them in whatever area they want to be coached. Yeah. Okay. So what's the business model? Like yeah. that's so, what I'm trying to get. Yes, like, there we go. How, so the does business, the business, how does the business actually work and how does yes. the business make money? So it's a, it, two ways. It's a subscription model. So, you know, you come in and it, in the consumer world, you can pay, you know, somewhere between four to $12 and then you get access to, um, a coach and then all the, the kind of AI driven tools. We also have coaching that you can kind of, um, you can get more kind of in-depth coaching, 
we, you can, and you can bank with us. So we have a savings account that you can start. So there's revenue in the bank, in this, in the banking services we provide too. And then on top, then the second way is of course we can, we sell that um, subscription into employers as like an employee perk. So you can kind of think of us like a headspace where you pay, you know, headspace has a consumer app that, that people pay a subscription for, but they also sell as an employer perk in through, you know, insurance and um, employee benefits. Super interesting. And so yeah. how, um, how do people find out about you? I mean, are you, yeah. um, who, who's the target audience and how are they finding you? It's a great question. I love, I, you have such good business questions. Um, so we, I'm just curious because my yeah. brain always goes to, I don't know that I've got good business questions, but I'm asking like, okay, my kids need this. Yes. Oh, wait, should I use this for my company? And I'm genuinely like, wait, how can we Partner. Who is this for? Yeah. And let's get this going. I love it. Let's do it. So we specifically look at kind of the 20 to 35 year old range, but we're really helping. It really is open to anyone. We're helping anyone who wants to understand the basic financial management, like spend less than you earn, pay attention to your spending, uh, have, you know, have a savings account, you have a savings habit, and then let's get your high interest debt off your books. So we get, we help you, you know, consolidate student loan debt or consolidate credit cards, and then be able to pay that off of time. And then of course the next, the, like from an education perspective, we do, we have different services for those things, but then we, um, in, if you have kind of graduated to investing conversations, there's a whole world of investing, you know, how do you diversify? What's risk? How do you protect your wealth? Like, like I think in your world, the conversation, we have these great legacy wealth checklists and, and, and like retirement check, checklists that say like, do you have a, do you have, you know, a will and Testament do you have in HOA? Like, are you it's where- such a brilliant business? I love your business. <laughs> I really love your business. First of all, there's such a need and I don't, I'm not leaning in to like do a full scan of like who else is doing this. So I'm curious if you yeah. have competitors and if so, what's yeah. your kind of differentiator? Yeah, no, it's a great question. There, yes, in fintech, there are a million different fintechs, right? Well, a lot yeah, of no, for sure. It's not, yeah. The the issue, I think, mostly is that they're very um, vertical. So there aren't a lot that there's a like Mint does budgeting. Uh, Chime is a checking account that gets you early payday access, right? Um, Digit that helps you save. Like you have these kind of bifurcated or kind of separate um, products that all touch one area of your financial right. life. That doesn't help. They're not, it's not holistic. So yes. yeah. So we try and move. And again, we're at the basic level. We're not trading for you. We're not, you know, we have partnerships with people like public, but we're not, you know, getting into the wealth management side of it. We're really looking at how do we, how do we create a holistic approach that, and our differentiator that ties to your actual habits and behavior. Right. So, so our the thing, behavior part, almost like an, yeah. almost like Noom. It like is, where, yes. Right. Where you're like, okay, well, let's actually have mindfulness around yes. eating. This is mindfulness around spending, spending. and saving. Yep. Yep. That's it. And I, and it really does give you incredible insight. I mean, I, I, I love it because it gives me, what have you, what have you learned um, about people's relationship with money? Are there themes that you've seen? I mean, that's hard to summarize in a like, okay, here we go. Let's go. It's like speed dating for finance. (laughs) Right. No, but there are a hundred, there are human themes in money for sure. And two of them that are most prominent are fear and shame. 
because mm. you start, you know, and it's always, we talk a lot about money stories. It always goes back to your root. Like you asked me about my family, right? Like there are things you learned in childhood, the experiences you had, and then what you carried over to your adulthood and the habits that you've created mm-hmm. around that. And all that, you know, has evolved and changes, but the more you connect these things, the more you see behavioral shifts. So you can say, okay, I am stressed. So I, I, I do this. I buy things online, right? Of course. And you then, get a little pop. I did that during COVID. Right. I was like, holy shit, what are all these boxes? What about, yes, exactly. I had little weak moments of yeah. shopping. Shauna, you are not alone. Our oh, data I... shows that everyone did that. Do not worry. <laughs> um, funny. But, but that, but what it allows are stats and the insights that we can give you by you logging your stress levels. We do this, we do these bumble swipe type things for your mm-hmm. transactions. So you can like dislike, you know, neutral, your swipe, your transactions. Uh, but what that does over time is it gives you a picture of, oh yeah, I tend to spike on my online sales in the early part of the month. And I am more stressed at that time, or oh, I interesting. really don't like every time I have that, I don't know, target bill. I don't like it. Like, uh, you know, I, and we can surface that up to you and say, Hey, that was the fifth time you swiped, you know, left on that transaction. What's going on. Do you want to talk about it? You know, kind of thing. So it just puts that mindfulness. Yeah. You said, is there anything around, um, like social good or conscious spending around, um, just kind of mindfulness around it, like who you're actually doing business with Yes. In general. That's part of an education. And that's, there's a demand for that in our demographic. People mm-hmm. really care. They, we talk a lot about um, who you bank with too, like mm-hmm. what implications you have, you know, you're, because that's really the, the most power you have and your dollar is where you bank and where you invest. Right. Cause that's really where the money is going back into society and as inform the loans and things like that. So um, there's a questions about that. And there's also, you know, we have education around, um, yeah, mindfulness practices and where you prioritize. We help people, we kind of automate you, you connect your accounts and we automate a budget that we say, Hey, this is what you've been doing. You know, you can change it. Um, Interesting. But it helped. Yeah. How have you um, funded it? I know you've raised money. Yes, we've raised money. Yep. And what I was, was really, that experience like as a woman? I know oh that that's friend. like a thing. <laughs> so tell thing. me. It's a thing. I've had a lot of women on the podcast and I have a lot of friends who have, you know, been startup founders and yeah, get 2% of, you know, yeah, less than, so how has that incredible, how has that been for you? Uh, it's been an incredible challenge. Yeah. And it's been an incredible, uh, self self-realization experience <laughs> to, um, we've bootstrapped. We were my, I have a co-founder who's an amazing woman. Uh, she's out of Sun Valley, Idaho. I met her in 2019. So we were able to bootstrap up until just 2021. The the reality of that is from a kind of growth perspective and early stage startup is that that means we didn't quite have the same kind of capital as everyone else that we were competing with. So there were some, you know, we definitely retain more like ownership and uh, directional control, but you know, their trade-offs the to that. The speed is the speed is lower. The speed yep. And yep. Yeah. You just have low, yeah, less money to spend. Yeah. And then when we raised, yeah, it would, it, uh, so there are a couple nuances to it. One, we are in Seattle, so it's not a it's not a highly fintech, consumer fintech friendly environment. So I definitely had to go outside of Seattle to raise, which was interesting because your networks, it really is about networks. I've learned a ton about VC. And by the way, uh, it really, it, it is like a popularity game. It's a lot of FOMO. And, and there's interesting like, um, oh yeah, no, I get it. I, cause I'm around yeah. a lot of founders you and, get and it. the pedigree stuff that you're like, oh, this person got yeah. funded out of like no experience at a Stanford. Is that a Stanford thing? Yes. Is that a, like, it's just yes. ageism, all of it. 
Yeah. And it's who, you know, and, and it, and I would say there is a reality for women that you just have, you do have to be better than you have to be better. I would imagine that you're probably really good at pitching though, because you're so polished and so confident. (laughs) You might've just been in that, like, okay, I got, I'm having like imposter syndrome. I'm just like faking it till I make it, but I can Uh, see you being actually really good at it. Thank you. I mean, we did get it funded. We did a seed round, which was amazing, but um, it, it took a lot of, there was a lot of, I don't know if it, it maybe imposter, but it, there was a lot of, um, like, am I onto something or should I not be onto this? Like exactly I, the yeah. questioning of like, I really believe this is an incredible business yeah. that I am going to. And I had to, what the big switch in my mind was like, wait a minute, I'm going to make you money. I'm not going to you like as a supplicant, like you invest. Yeah, I'm not looking know, like, for some sort of favor. Like I'm actually out. like, right. this is actually making you money. You should right. be so lucky to right. get a seat at this exactly. table. Yeah. And 100%. Sort of, yeah. What kind of indications are they looking for as far as product market fit? You know, it's interesting. So at the seed round, you're kind of look, you're looking at TAM, you know, target available market. You're looking at, they're looking at team uh, for sure. And traction is something that depends on what you're doing. Like it, you know, if you're in the SaaS business, I think traction there, they are looking for traction and sales and pipeline and go to market and all that Mm -hmm. consumer is also, but I think consumer is more, more focused on how are you going to capture a significant portion of this population. And mm-hmm. then you kind of think, and then tell me your plan to monetize, you know, but what is the value prop that you can get a lot of people on? Cause that's what you need. You need a lot yeah. of people on your product, believing in you and trusting right. you. And then you can kind of figure out and coming it. back for more and, and coming back for yeah, more. signing yeah. up for the subscription. And yeah. are you doing, what's your marketing strategy been? Yeah. I mean, so they've got an awesome newsletter, an awesome podcast. <laughs> yes. What's the podcast called so that people can um, find it? Oh, thank you. It's called, it's just the Navit, N-A-V.it, Navit podcast. We're on season okay. four now, actually. It's been nice. great. Yes. Uh, but to your point, it's a lot of content marketing. So we do mm. a lot of, and partnerships. So, you know, we, we fit in that niche kind of between. Are you doing targeted ads at all? Like uh, we do. social media yep. target that? Cause in my mind, I'm like, it's this social. is the kind of thing I can totally see just coming yes, as you scroll and through and just scroll. And of yes. course I'm the one who's like, Oh, Bing, I just got this. Look, yes. Let's yeah. do it. I'm they a, love I'm, you. I'm, I'm the dream target. You audience. are the dream. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm a consumer far. of things. Yes. We've talked should, about this. Yes. Well, yeah. I think it's great. And that's also just, I, for me thinking about that, I am too. And I just, and I've also doing this mindfulness practice around money has made me just realize what I prioritize in my life. And I like, I love to travel. I'm not going to give that up. Even when I'm not making a massive salary, cause I'm an entrepreneur and I have these things like I have, I, that is just something I do. Right. And yeah. COVID has, you know, but anyways, it's just, it's spending your money in a way that fulfills your life as opposed to trying to restrict or feel guilt about yeah. it or all these things. Right. Just knowing yourself. So it's, it's so good. I think it's just like <sighs> an incredible business. How are you, like you said, like prioritizing your, you're an entrepreneur. How are you prioritizing your downtime? Like, what do you do yes. to kind of unwind and keep your mental health in check? That is an ever evolving question, my friend. Uh, and, and COVID actually for me was um, a blessing because I, it, it just to some degree, you know, um, it eliminated the need to travel in the same way that I was traveling before um, and kind of root in my son and, you know, get to keep yes. his survival going and mine. Um, so I, da- my downtime, I am pretty protective. So when he comes home till bedtime, I really like no calls, no, like I really do protect my time, especially around him, you know, that I can get back online if I need to, but, um, and I, and 
nature and exercise are my thing. You said Peloton like that. I, I hate to be cheesy and like, but it saved me. I have it never like me. assessed how many of the 150 plus interviews I've done, but a lot of yes. people are getting saved, although their sock is in the toilet. But yeah, a lot of people were saved yes. by Peloton during COVID. So, so my yeah. ultimate question for you is what fuels you? Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> I, you know, if you, as I actually reflect on this story, I just told you, I am driven to learn and to, I'm, and to make change in the world where I can. And I think I'm, I'm getting older now. So now it's another question of like, have I done enough? Do I need to call like, slow down a little bit? Where, where, who am I as a, as a 40 year old woman, not a 20 year old woman. Um, but I, but I am very fueled by, um, major kind of societal questions that I think that I can push an answer for and find solutions to. Which well, you're doing really an silly. incredible work. I cannot, no, it doesn't sound silly at all. It's super inspiring. <laughs> and I love your story. And I am so psyched to have another female badass CEO, like building this cool company in Seattle. Thank you. And um, anyone who's listening, are there any, anything that the community can do to help support you? Yes, I think, well, following us, downloading the app, using us, giving us feedback. We have, you know, hello at Navit or it's Navit Money is now our website, um, navitmoney.com. Um, so, but also, yeah, I'm learning, teach. I am always open to making connections to also learn about people's money stories and hear their pain points and kind of how, how their trajectory has affected, you know, them in their careers. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.